I'm ready with you. Bada bing. All right, great. Um, perfect. Yeah, that's that's the way they do it out there in England, I guess, huh? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll get our, our formal start rocking and rolling then. Uh, how's it going, guys? This is Dan for Jello with Sentient Potential. I'm very fortunate to be joined by Mr. Aubrey DeGray today, who's the Chief Science Officer at the Sense Foundation, as well as the author of Ending Aging. Um, how's it going today, Aubrey? It's very well. Thank you for having me. Of course, brother, of course. I, I think a lot of uh, folks who've seen your many TED Talks, I know I, I first actually came to find you at TED, uh, amongst all the other places that I read. That's where I, I saw your stuff first and saw a number of your presentations there. And they know you as kind of the guy who's working on curing aging. Maybe they're familiar a little bit with the Sense Foundation, but I think few people maybe know kind of your, your story, how you got into anti-aging. I know you went to Cambridge, you uh, did some stuff at Trinity Hall and um, how did you ever get to the point where you were like, you know what, this is going to be my stand, this is going to be my legacy and my life's work? It's a reasonably interesting story, actually. Hmm. I, um, even from when I was a kid, I knew that what I wanted to do with my life was to make a difference, to actually improve the quality of life of humanity one way or another. And that led me rather, um, rather clearly into artificial intelligence research research on computer science to develop machines that do all the things that we don't really enjoy doing, but we still have to do, you know, whether it's going down mines or serving hamburgers or whatever. <laughs> and that sort of thing, you think to me, was unfortunate. You know, we're much better at uh, spending our time in leisure, you know, enriching each other's lives. So I wanted to contribute to the effort to develop machines that would relieve us of these other tedious activities. Yep. Um, but then when I was, let me see now, 26, I met a biologist and married her a year later, <laughs> and she's quite a lot older than me. She and I got together when um, she was on sabbatical in Cambridge. She was a professor, a sabbatical professor in um, San Diego, at UC San Diego, and um, through her over the next two or three years. I, I guess I just learned a lot of biology over the dinner table, the way you do. Um, but I also, very gradually, by, I'm going to say, somewhere around 1993, 94, began to realize that she wasn't very interested in aging. And furthermore, that the other biologists that I was meeting through her were also not very interested in aging. Interesting. And eventually I started asking questions about it. I said, well, look, I mean, aging kills people. It kills like, rather a lot of people, actually. It's obviously the major unsolved problem in the field. Yeah. And, you know, why on earth is it such a backwater? And the answers that I got from my wife and from other people were very unsatisfactory. They were like, you know, well, it's just, it's not very exciting, you know, it's just a decay, you're not going to learn anything. So this is when I began to realize that there is this fundamental psychological and motivational dichotomy within research. There are people who do research for basic science purposes. You know, they, want, they find things out for the, per, for the sake of finding things out. And there are people who do it for humanitarian purposes. They do it because they want to actually apply the, what they find out to um, to technology one way or another. Yep. And it turns out there's very few of the second category. Very, very few. Huh. And in particular there's virtually nobody who works in the biology of aging who thinks that way. The people who do think that way work on a 
Oh, Aubrey, I think we're getting a little choppy here. Let me. Sometimes when I'm feeling particularly, I um I compare them to seismologists. Yeah, it's it's cool to be able to have. Well, I guess hey, you were working on uh, kind of increasing that leisure time, so to speak, and then ended up having enough of it for yourself to find yourself where you are now. Exactly. And obviously, um, hey, hey, yeah. So, so let me let me just ask. So, so it seems to me that the bandwidth is rather limiting right now. You're breaking up quite a bit. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's maybe we'll cut the we'll cut the video. That should work out okay. Yeah. Let's do that. Okay. All right, nice, very good. Yeah, it's coming through a little clear here now. Um, so, okay, uh, yeah. So moving forward, um, I I know that you 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 speak uh, uh, in a number of different occasions about kind of the idea of the trance of pro aging of kind of uh, almost sort of the the general belief or or it's not really it's not really a very well thought through belief, but the the general kind of supposition that aging is inevitable and we can't do anything about it why not do anything other than accept it and see it as some sort of good, natural, great, cool thing that we're all, you know, excited to be a part of. Um, and and uh, you also talk about kind of the critical velocity idea of, you know, how even right now we may very well have our first uh, humans who are going to be um, living to be a thousand. So there's kind of the pros and the cons going on at present. What do you see, whether it be, and I know in your book, Ending Aging, you talk about uh, more than just the bio, the biology problem. So let's think beyond those biology problems. What, what do you see now as kind of the biggest barriers towards the research you're doing, towards the progress against aging in general? So I think the best way to start answering that question is to talk about the pro-aging trials. So for me, it, um, you know, I have a lot more sympathy with the um, resistance that I encounter in this field than you might think. Um, I do basically understand why people have the view that they do that um, this is something they don't really want to think about. But ultimately, it's only only when I came along, really, I'm really the first person who has been able to put forward a truly plausible, rational strategy for actually bringing a medical control. All that happens. It was perfectly appreciable, perfectly reasonable for people to take the view that aging is inevitable for the foreseeable future. Yep. And therefore, that this is obviously ghastly, the only rational thing to do is to put it out of your mind. Mm -hmm. And some way distract yourself from it. Yes. It makes perfect sense that if you say you want to distract yourself from the issue of aging, then um, the right way to go about it is to convince yourself in one way or another that aging is actually not such a bad thing as it might seem. Yep. So the pro-aging plant is really all about confusion. It's all about eventually distracting yourself from the ghastliness of aging by making up these absurdly irrational rationalizations that say, well, okay, there will be all these problems that we might have in society if we didn't have aging anymore, and to be completely uncritical about actually determining and, address and analyzing whether those problems are real or whether they're just science fiction. Yep. 
Uh, so, uh, so, so if we look at actually, let's take science fiction per se. Let's look at films and books that have actually explored uh, the concept of a post-aging world. We obviously see that overwhelmingly these um, characterizations of such a future are dystopic. You know, they bring in yeah. utterly unjustified and arbitrary elements into the story, like, for example, overpopulation or dictators living forever or whatever. Um, and they build the whole entire story around that for any you know, dramatic content. Um, you know, it, 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 it's absolutely scandalous. And I think that science fiction exploring a post aging world overwhelmingly harms the effort to actually bring such a world into existence. Wow. Um, nevertheless, that's where we are. And so what I do is, you know, most of what I do, actually, in terms of outreach, comes down to starting by forcing people into separating the feasibility and the desirability of the debate of aging and addressing those two things separately from each other. Got independently. It. You know, we don't know how hard this is, but the only way to discover how hard it is, this is is to actually look at the details, look at where we are and what the strategies are that are, that are available. And of course, as I mentioned a moment ago, I am you know, pioneering that. And then, independently of that, to ask the question whether it would be desirable if it were possible, yep. rather than to take the prevailing attitude that we have today, which is essentially to say that it's not worth thinking about whether it's desirable because it's obviously not feasible, but at the same time, taking the view that it's not really worth thinking about whether it's feasible because it's not desirable. Yeah, um, okay, okay, so almost a catch-22 of unthinkingness in, in a respect. Exactly. Got it. Very interesting. So, and obviously, so you'd mentioned your one of your primary aims, objectives, or, or methods of going about this is separating that um, desirability and feasibility. Do you see kind of the trance itself? And I, I like the the cultural influences. I think is very interesting as well because I think some people be believe science fiction to be a potentially creative domain to uh, again explore future scenarios, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I, I understand where you're coming from, where if it's shrouded in a particular light over and over, then maybe we're not opening up the possibilities of fiction to to really kind of lay out what um, you know what a positive future might be, as opposed to oh man, let's not get into that crazy live forever stuff because you know what happens in the movies. Exactly, that's the that's precisely the problem. It's a, it's a self fulfilling thing. People, the reason why movies and the books are this way because they sell. And the reason they sell is because they reinforce where people already are. Oh, fantastic! Uh, I'm probably going to make a bigger, bigger deal out of that in in this article than uh, than I was expecting by a mile. But yeah, I, I wow, I'm, I'm very, very sympathetic to that notion. Do you see kind of that mentality and, and mindset sort of in the general populace or the scientific community or uh, the political domain as still in in so many regards the primary uh, you know, outside of obviously the, the work you're doing in the lab, the primary barrier to uh, the progress of the project and what you're pioneering? Yes, I do. Okay. I, th I think the ultimate issue here is funding. The, um, the, we have a plan. We know, what, we know what research needs to be done. We also have the right scientists. We have the world leaders in the relevant areas of biomedical research hot to trot. They totally want this work to happen. And they would be doing it if they had the money to do it. Yep. So it's all about getting that money in place. And ultimately, that had to come from somewhere. There are 
three places where money comes from, ultimately, if we classify things. There's government, there's the private sector, and there's philanthropy. And ultimately, the government is unavailable because they are beholden to public opinion. So we have to get public opinion first. Similarly, the private sector are interested in getting things to work really quickly. And then ultimately, they also beholden to public opinion. Um, you know, it's what, where the market is, that's where the customers are. Yep. Um, so ultimately, it's all about philanthropy. And even philanthropy is somewhat above the public opinion, because even high net worth people, seriously wealthy people, who may be the main supporters, and certainly have been the main supporters of the Central Tech Foundation so far, um, you know, even they don't act purely autonomously. They listen to other people, and their uh. willingness and their interest in, in supporting this work depends on the outcome of people that they care about, whether it's their spouses or whatever. So, at the end of the day, it's critical that we educate the population general to understand that this is simply medical research. That will not be negative, it will be the positive impact of stopping people from getting the diseases and difficulties of old age that we all understand that we don't like, whether it's Alzheimer's or whatever. Yep. And, and thus, that we... Um, that we have, you know, an absolute, an absolute requirement to educate everybody and um, thereby enhance the likelihood of getting more funding from all of these sources and thereby saving our lives. Nice. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's interesting, kind of those three sources that you mentioned, the, the individual problems that spur up... Um, uh, from from each, I was I was familiar with the the fact that philanthropy is kind of a driver uh, in the sense foundation there, but obviously again there's there's even there's even issues there too. So I guess the more the more philanthropic folks who kind of you can you can whittle out of you know leaving that trance, probably the more you can have supporting your stuff, um, and such is the mission, I suppose, big time. Okay, um, uh, another topic I wanted to get into, which I think will stems naturally from this mission towards uh, defeating aging is is um, how that might affect our other faculties so right now you know I, um, I forget who had said it I believe it was I believe it was somebody over there at the the future humanity Institute had had mentioned the notion I'm not sure if they were the first to say it that when someone dies a library dies with them obviously their their knowledge their skills their memories um, their abilities, uh, a lot of a lot goes with them in addition to their body. Um, do you see if if we're living forever, um, or or living, let's say, a thousand years, we are our first thousand year old person. Um, are we are we going to be kind of? Do you see us as maybe let's say a hundred, two hundred potentially years from now, uh, maybe the same sort of humans with the same muscles, the same kind of neurons, the same ability to remember, remind ourselves. Oh. Yeah, but I think I get the general idea of what okay. you're asking. Got we, it. As I understand it, you're asking, are we likely to move forward in a predominantly um, biological state, very much having the same bodies that we have at the moment? Perhaps yes. Some kind of prosthetics or some kind of non-biological components, but essentially being a biological body, or do I think that we're more likely to become essentially cyborgs? Um, I actually don't know. But my instinct is that we're going to stay mainly biological, simply because as technology proceeds, it's going to the, the, the disadvantages of being biological are going to diminish. 
in particular, at the moment, we have the difficulty that being made of, you know, meat is risky. We are in danger of being hit by trucks and so on. Uh, that's a bit of a shame. Um, but as we invent better and better technology, things that we like to do that are risky become less risky. You know, we're just building safer cars. Obviously, that's actually a great example because it's obviously a great um, um, effort right now to develop the um, self-driving cars. Yep. That will be far safer than anything that exists today. Yep. And um, people are already saying that within as little as 10 years, it may become illegal to actually drive a <laughs> car yourself, in a case, because it will be so much more dangerous than um, having the car be driven automatically. You know, I can see that sort of thing generalizing happening all over society, all over the way we live. And if that's true, then, you know, we have a very interesting scenario. We have a scenario in which the argument for even researching the possibility of moving ourselves to a different substrate becomes considerably weaker. And the fact is, you know, people are somewhat conservative. They have a certain fear of the unknown. Um, they, stick, they like to stick to what they know. I personally, you know, I can see that. I enjoy being made out of meat myself. And the favor it gets, the less Got it. Yeah, and and th that's interesting as well. Yeah, the, the 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 disadvantages, so to speak, of being made of meat. Um, and uh, yeah, the 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 with the car example and, and aging in and of itself. The the other uh, potential sides of that, I suppose, as well. Whether it's from kind of an implant type of a scenario, you had mentioned, um, kind of moving ourselves to another substrate, so to speak. Um, would the the other we could say advantages potentially also issues and concerns? I think anything can be a double edged sword. It's really about uh, being able to look at them. Um, would be you know the ability to learn much faster or to memorize and aggregate data or or even to enhance our own creative abilities or um, yeah. So, so, so I think I think it's easy to be too parochial about questions like that. At the moment, we have to remember that we're talking about something that our overall capability. Our capability is determined not only by what's inside our skull, mm -hmm. but also by what we access. So, by most sensible definitions, everybody on the planet is far more intelligent today than they were 20 years ago, simply because of the internet. You know, that's a really meaningful way to describe what we can, what, what our performance actually is. Uh. Even though in physically what I had left, you know, I used to know a lot of phone numbers. And I hardly know any phone numbers anymore because I don't need to. But in practice, for practical purposes, I know far more phone numbers than I ever used to. Yeah. Um, Interesting. So uh, so as as technology kind of fills the roles of whether it's memory or creative capacity or kind of expands our senses, memory, abilities... Um, we can maintain, or you have an inkling, anywho, that we will maintain our biological form, but utilize our tools as tools, in the same way as we do now in many respects. Yes. In fact, I would say, say it's more than an inkling. I think that it's pretty clear that as time goes on, we will become more and more able to access more and more information and to be more and more functional. Um, and furthermore, that the process of actually doing that, of using this type of will become more and more automatic. 
you know, will become less and less. And so it will feel more and more so it will be part of us. And that, again, will diminish the motivation to explore that. Got it. Okay, to move ourselves to another. So, in in uh, in in the future, you I mean I know you had mentioned or you'd set the benchmark of kind of the first thousand year old human may very well be alive now. Even a thousand years from now, potentially, um, you see us as having far heightened technologies in so many regards. Maybe maybe occupying other planets. Who knows? Um, and and but most likely maintaining. Our biological form as it is, and just and and kind of staying alive indefinitely, potentially, and using our tools as tools in the same way. Kinda. I mean, I don't want to take it too far. The fact is, it comes to long-term predictions. I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, yeah. No, of course, of course, of course. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Make I'm, I'm very much a first things first sort of guy. You know? I just, I just want to, I want to stop people from getting sick. That's, that, that's the priority. Yeah. So let's let's check that box off. I, I suppose um, in that respect. Yep. Okay. Um, cool. And and um, in terms of in in terms of the as a closing note here, um, some of the some of the potential issues that I know folks bring up. With the uh, curing the problem of aging, um, are the you know again you had mentioned again that some of them as rationalization, some of them as potentially valid concerns of uh, well you know dictators living forever or you know the 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 relatively real notion of population and dealing with population. Um, what do you see as actually some of the um, not not necessarily rationalized and silly, but maybe the real and to be you know to be thoroughly considered. Uh, problems that may arise through uh, curing the issue of aging itself? Well, it depends what you mean by real. I think that it's valuable today, in today's world, before this arrives, to do some public planning, to get some feel for the range of possible scenarios that could actually eventuate. Yep. Um, Nuclear fusion, 
Legion or whatever to lower our carbon footprint. Um, uh, I, I, but, but also, in the absence of any um, uh, recognition of the benefits, it's default. Yeah. Okay. The fact that, you know, aging causes an astronomical amount of suffering. It is pretty extraordinary, pretty astonishing that people are willing to raise all the difficulties, um, you know, the potential obstacles to potential difficulties that might, might, might be of aging. And just to forget that, hello, you know, we've got quite a, quite a bad problem to do. I try to work to combat. Big time. So kind of, uh, and again, I, I suppose that fits into your overall mission of um, uh, educating more or, or bringing, bringing people out of kind of the science fiction, oh my goodness, what if mentality and into at least a, a conception of, you know, what might this do for us? How might this actually help us? Let's think about this rationally from that perspective, etc. Absolutely. Yep. I'm not belittling the potential problems at all. Yeah. I'm just saying okay. you know, I'm to have a and obviously, a sense of proportion. You look kind of at at both sides. Me personally, I I can uh, I'm completely congenial with the notion of just how much suffering aging uh, causes. Like yourself, I'm uncertain exactly of what the future uh, does hold. What the biggest problems or opportunities will be in that domain. Um, obviously, most of your education is done leaning people towards looking at those those possibilities from the good side. Are are, uh, are there any potential concerns that that you're that you've kind of already thought about, or that you you might that even in your mind might be sort of first things to to consider once the problem is solved? Is an okay now this really good thing has happened. You know, here's here's some stuff we might want to keep check on. Anything that sort of stays on your radar there, obviously. No, I mean okay. I can I can imagine a, a lot of it is a lot of the Q and A after even you know even well talks to Ted or smaller venues is going to be the same stuff over and over and you could have an assistant kind of rattle those things off. Um, so in uh, as, as something else I wanted to delve into just because I know obviously again with all the talks with all the research with everything going on there are other kind of cool events and things that you guys have going on. Are there any? I know you, you have an event coming up in September. I wanted to know if maybe you could shed a little bit of light on that, talk about some of the exciting things that might be happening there or any other um, cool events or books or resources that, that you might want to let people know about. Sure, absolutely. Awesome. So, first and foremost, Sensex Foundation is a research outfit, and we, we do research, we engage with other researchers. And one of the biggest, most important aspects of that is engaging with them face-to-face, which is, of course, what conferences are about. Yep. That's, that's the reason why we have run a really high-powered academic conference every two years for Bethlehem 3, so the sixth one is coming up. Yep. It's uh, the first weekend of September, September 3rd through 7th, and like all the previous ones, it will happen in, in the UK, in Cambridge, at Queen's College. If you go to science.org and have a look at our website, there's a prominent link to it, so you can find out all about it. Cool. But just like all the others, it will...
by absolute world leaders in all of the relevant areas around um, what we're trying to do. It's an enormously um, rewarding community of length as well. People who come to this conference are not only academics by any means, plenty of sort of gifted amateurs come along. Um, the social um, component of the meeting is extremely important too. There's uh, the a bar open every night, which is uh, free alcohol at 1am. Yeah, that's 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 um, we have chapters, you know, meetups um, at the local um, groups that are interested in this in the Bay Area, uh, in New York, in other areas around the country and around the world. So, yeah, this is definitely a, a serious uh, um, community movement now, not just an, uh, um, uh, an abstract, dry academic thing. Awesome. And in terms of the, the groups and the meetups, do people find those mostly through you know a website like meetup.com or is there somewhere on the send site where people can figure out you know where folks are getting together um, on this topic? Absolutely. There are announcements there about what's going on and also what's, what's the really, really the best thing to do. If you can't find uh, immediately any announcement of something in your area or that's feasible for you to attend, just send us a note. There's a feedback or in a contact form on the website, and we are very good and very prompt at responding to those things in an extremely you know, informative manner, whether it's questions about science, questions about uh, you know, what, what event you might go to, awesome. anything you like. Just write to us on the website, and you will find out what you need to know. Fantastic. Wow. All right. I'll, I'll probably be dropping one myself then. Uh, Aubrey, thank you very, very much for taking a half hour out of your life on the uh, the other side of the pond, so to speak, to have a conversation on this topic. I'm, I'm really excited to draw up an article. I'll make sure I, I send you a link once it's wrapped up and keep up the good work. I'll hope to see you myself in September. Marvelous. Okay. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thank and you. I look to the final awesome. Hey, Bye -bye. thank you very much. Yep. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, and be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Um, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week.